0: Here we are on 3CR, 12 noon Saturday, with the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools have been here on 3CR every every Saturday since 1987. And we're going to be here for a lot longer, I hope, because defending government schools is a very important cause. Uh, And when we talk about government schools, we're talking about public education, which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is publicly accessible to all children. It should be public in ownership and control, and it should also be publicly accountable. Now, all of those things would happen in the ideal world, but also know that uh, it is not happening as it should be in Australia at the moment. But this is going to be a very interesting program because... Uh, the dogs, as well as being pro-public education, are anti-state aid to private schools, and we go for this uh, issue constantly because it involves separation of church and state. And this afternoon we will be talking about job keeper and church and state in Australia, Then we will be talking about the effect of times of plague on disadvantaged students in Australia because we are still in the time of plague and our disadvantaged children in our state schools have fallen further behind in the current crisis. Uh, Then we will be going and having a look at what's happening in America, which is so much in our news, isn't it? But over in America there are people like the dogs who are fighting for public education, and one of those people is Diane Mavich. So first of all, we will hear hear from her. Then we will hear from Mr Trump, who has ideas about school choice being a civic part. Uh, Then finally, we'll be talking about the charter schools in America, which are privatised institutions, which have been ripping off the American taxpayers, in much the same way, perhaps worse than what has been happening with private schools and the public treasuries here in Australia. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we'll have a, a short break, and we'll be back with the Job Keeper and Church and State issue.
1: Australian music needs your help. Music festivals, concerts and local gigs have been cancelled due to coronavirus. Artists, crew and music workers have lost their jobs and don't know when their next gig will happen. We're all facing the sound of silence. But you can help. Visit thesoundofsilence.com.au now. G'day you mob. Kutcher Edwards here I just want to send out a message to you all To stop the spread of COVID-19 Also known as the coronavirus It is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other Follow rules on social gatherings Wash your hands when appropriate And stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell But most of all, keep strong, stay safe And of course, keep listening to 3CR, Community Radio, to keep connected to the community. We'll get through this and hope to see you real soon. Bye.
2: 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go
0: to 3cr.org.au Well, you're listening to the the Dogs Program, and here is our press release 846, which is on our website at www.adogs.info. State aid is bad for religion as well as for the state. Priests have been paid JobKeeper and then they have been asked to donate it back to the church. Now dogs have always opposed entanglement of church and state and opposed state aid to religious schools for this reason. They argue that state aid to religion is bad for the church and it's certainly very bad for the state. In the Dogs 1981 High Court case, the Church argued that their schools were not religious but educational institutions. They wanted to prove that they weren't religious at all. In fact, they were, they tried to prove that they were no more religious than our state schools. Extraordinary. Now the loss of religious liberty in that High Court case and the consequent entanglement of the Church with the state since that date has now come to fruition. The church in Australia is asset-rich but income poor as parishioners leave the pews, so it's state aid for their schools hasn't been very good for their churches because state aid is bad for religion. The churches were struggling financially with loss of parishioners before the plague hit the Australian economy. But when the pews were empty, completely empty, the church hierarchy demanded payment not just for their empty schools, but also for their priests. While large sections of the Australian workforce, most particularly casual workers, international students, backpackers, artists, musicians and cleaners, have been forced to live off their savings if they had them, priests have been given JobKeeper payments. To add insult to injury, The Catholic priests themselves have been asked by the Church to donate almost half of the payment back to that organisation. This situation has prompted considerable comment on the ABC and Twitter, but not in the mainstream press, which is interest, and no one has remarked on a very simple but dangerous fact. And this is what the dogs want people to think about. People have been outraged about all of this and they had their own take on it, whether or not priests are in fact employees at all or whether they're employees of the church or whether they are God's employees and God should pay them. But the important issue is church and state. Priests and ministers are being paid directly by the state as if they are employees of the church which can demand money from the state its employees. And this is a logical extension, if you think about it, of the chaplaincy in state schools program, and it sets a very dangerous precedent indeed. In some countries, taxpayers have to pay a particular church tax so that priests, even if they have empty churches, can be paid. Are we going down this line? And that was what Section 116 of the Constitution was supposed to avoid. Now, dogs refer our listeners to the following ABC report. It's a very good report by Pat McGrath and Alison climate And we'll forthwith go to that. The Catholic Church has asked priests who've been receiving JobKeeper to donate
3: almost half of the payments to the church. Here's Pat McGrath from ABC Investigations. Hi there, Pat. So what's the more surprising aspect of this? Do you think that some priests
0: were asked to give money to the church or that priests were getting JobKeeper payments in the first place?
4: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people would be surprised that that priests are getting JobKeeper because in the eyes of the law, priests and other religious practitioners aren't necessarily employees and that's why the Catholic Church along with other religious institutions went to the government after JobKeeper started and lobbied them to include uh, priests uh, and other religious practitioners within the scheme and so uh, about a month into the scheme on the 1st of May uh, the scheme was extended um, to them and now uh, we've seen in this case priests in a a diocese in in Western Sydney the the, the Diocese of Parramatta have seen their, their monthly stipend Increase from around $1,500 to around $3,000, and that's after all of their other living expenses um, being covered by the church. Now, after that, we've obtained some letters that the church or the diocese has sent to those priests who are on JobKeeper, um, asking them to donate about half of that money back to the church to help rebuild its balance sheet, which has obviously been quite depleted by the lockdown, uh, limits on the number of parishioners who can attend church, and Uh, make donations to the collection plate. Um, Now, that, according to Anthony Forsyth, who's an employment law professor at RMIT University, isn't against the law, uh, but he says that it should be. I can't see what possible um, fair justification there could be. The churches have obtained a special deal in having JobKeeper extended to them. Why on earth... Should, it, should they then be allowed to claw some of that money back? That should, if they're concerned enough about the wellbeing of the people in the religious orders, that they include them in JobKeeper and pressure the government to do so, they should let those people keep that money.
0: So what's been the Church's response, Pat?
4: Well, the Diocese of Parramatta has declined to talk to us or even answer our questions uh, because they say they have concerns about the capacity of the ABC to, to cover this issue fairly. But we've been talking to priests... Um, around the country and different dioceses around the country, and it's been established that, that priests around the country are, are receiving JobKeeper, but given the, the somewhat fragmented structure of, of the church, it's very hard to work out exactly how many are getting the money. Okay, thank you.
0: Well, that was a very interesting report, wasn't it? Um, the way the, the clerics uh, tried to get around things when people were saying, you know, what's go- going on here? Um, and the attitude of the, particularly the archbishops, to taxpayers' money and any money that they can get out of the state. But uh, there were a few comments uh, on Twitter uh, in response to this, and I'll hand over to Dale to refer you to some of those comments.
3: Thanks, Jean. Yeah, um, I've got a comment, comment here from Mike, and he says, "So priests can get job keeper." But academics, writers, musicians and artists can't. There, ladies and gentlemen, this government's priorities in a nutshell. And replying to Mike uh, was uh, someone saying uh, the Catholic Church has been loudly claiming priests are not employees in an effort to protect themselves from claims for child abuse. Now, all of a sudden, they are employees. Which is it? Both make very good points, I think. We'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll have some music. Here's uh, This Mortal Coil with Song to the Siren.
5: sit me Say. See- Should I stand with breakers, or should I lie?
0: to the DOGS program, the Defence of Government Schools, here on 3CR, on our midday show. Uh, And uh, we want now to talk about children, because that's really what our education system is about. And the Grattan Institute here in Melbourne uh, has been doing some very interesting research on what's been happening, particularly to our disadvantaged children in the lockdown time, in the time of plague. Because the disadvantaged children in Australia are being left behind by all our governments and now in this period too they are falling further behind. So I'll pass you over to Dale who will tell you about this research being done by the Grattan Institute.
3: Thanks, Dean. Yes, I've got an article here by Jordan Baker for the uh, Sydney Morning Herald entitled The uh, Students need $1.1 billion to close the remote learning gap. Disadvantaged students slipped six weeks further behind their peers while schools were delivering lessons remotely, a a report has found, and more than a billion dollars worth of intensive tuition is needed to help them catch up. Modelling by the Grattan Institute think tank estimated the wide achievement gap between advantaged and disadvantaged students grew at triple the usual rate during remote schooling with surveys of teachers showing their disadvantaged students earned 25 to 50 percent less than they would have learned sorry 25 to 50 percent less than they would have in class. The report's author, Grattan Institute School Education Fellow, Julie Sonneman, estimated that over two months of remote learning, the achievement gap between disadvantaged students and their peers had widened by 7% or an additional six weeks. In New South Wales, where remote learning ran for seven weeks, the gap would be slightly less at 5.1 weeks or 6%, while in Victoria, where it ran for nine weeks, the gap would be 8% or six and a half weeks. Before remote schooling, there was about seven years difference in capabilities within year nine at a typical school. And after COVID-19, the spread will be even larger, the report said. Dr. Sonneman said the international research showed intensive tuition in groups of between two and five was the most effective way of helping students catch up and suggested Australia use that method to focus on the 25% of most disadvantaged students. She called on the government to invest $1.13 billion in small group tutoring, saying short sessions three to four times a week over 12 weeks could increase student learning by an extra five months. Tutors could be drawn from casual teaching staff, teaching assistants, pre-service teachers and university graduates creating extra work in a difficult jobs climate. Younger people would also be more likely to spend the money stimulating the economy. There's a lot of money going out the door in fiscal stimulus, Dr. Solomon said. We know these students are a group that has been affected. There are tangible solutions you can provide. Why would you not put money towards this group? If all goes well, it would help make even bigger inroads into the disadvantaged gap. We know that gaps in learning compound Compound over time. This is a real opportunity to trial something that has potentially really big benefits for a cohort that really needs it. Money should also be invested in widening successful literacy and numeracy programs, bringing the total spend to $1.25 by the federal government over the next six months, Dr. Sonneman said. Craig Peterson from the New South Wales Secondary Principal Council said the idea was worth looking at, but equity was complex and logistics would be difficult. For example, some classes such as kindergarten and year seven may have been hit harder than others. We absolutely need to be supporting our disadvantaged kids, he said. We also have to make sure we fully support We support our full range of students. In response to the calls for funding, a spokesman for the education minister, Dan Tehan, said advice from health experts was schools were safe to remain open during the pandemic. Our government was consistent that we should follow the expert medical advice and keep schools open, he said. State and territory governments made the decision to close their schools or to keep them open. So he's passed the buck entirely there. Isn't he? What a pity. And he's got an extra 70 million up this way. Yes, the hygiene fund for private schools, don't you know? Okay, we'll have a break now, and then we shall come back with ah, more from overseas, from the US. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976, and we are here to stay.
1: Throughout June, we're running a station appeal.
3: We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent,
2: community-owned, and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go
1: to 3cr.org.au.
2: Welcome to Hillbilly Fever. I will be presenting three hours of vintage hillbilly and Australian country music.
5: All right, it's Friday night and you are here with Chris and Christine on The Heavy Session at 8.55am
6: 3CR. Welcome everyone to Global Intifada. The track we just heard was by revolutionary Turkish band Gryp Yorum.
7: Hello everybody, you are listening to Sweet Dreams on 3CR Community Radio. You've dialed in that number 855 in the AM selected universe of radio.
6: Well that wacky collection of 3CR music shows is just the tip of the iceberg.
2: There are so many interesting music shows on 3CR.
6: Make sure you tune in and check them all out. They're presented by incredible people who have an incredible wealth of knowledge about incredible music. Don't you just love the amazing, wacky collection of music shows on 3CR?
3: 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity.
6: To
0: donate, go to 3cr.org.au.
3: you need to renew your subscription, make a donation.
4: Or pass on some information to a programmer.
6: We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419 8377.
4: Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member.
3: That's 03 9419 8377.
0: 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. to the DOCS program, the Defence of Government Schools, whom we're here every Saturday to promote and defend public education. Uh, but we're off to America. Uh, we're taking you to America now, where people are fighting as we are in Australia for public education. And one of the leaders in this fight is a lady called Diane Revitch, and we'd like you to listen to what she has to say about this battle. She has a very interesting blog. You can read about her on her blog,
6: but here is her voice. My name is Diane Ravitch, and I have for many, many years been a historian of education. In the last 10 years, uh, I've become an activist on behalf of public schools and uh, the importance of public education in a democracy. Uh, And this was a big change from where I was before then. I'm concerned about the assault on the teaching profession. I'm concerned about the idea that was, has been spread by Teach for America that anyone can teach and that five weeks of uh, training in the summer is enough to make you a, a great teacher, which is not true. I, I believe in teachers' unions. I didn't always, but I certainly do now because I understand that teachers alone can't change anything. but teachers who are organized and, and have a union have a voice at the table. If, when, you, when you don't have a union, you have no voice at the table. I have seen and I've heard about good charters. Good charters meaning that they don't screen the kids, they don't select, uh, they don't have high attrition, and they're really trying to do the best thing. There are people that I know, friends of mine, have children who run charters, and they say, my charter is different, my charter doesn't all kids. It still troubles me, however, to think that we might fund two separate school systems because the good charters, and there are some, create cover For the bad charters and I have seen so many examples of of people who've become charter creators, charter founders who who are not educators and they see it as an opportunity to get free public money and then to have no accountability. For me the great failing of the billionaires aside from their arrogance and thinking that they are somehow entitled to reinvent education without paying attention to the people who do the, the work is that they've changed the subject. The subject to me is what do we do about the dramatic inequality in our society? We've now had almost 20 years of annual testing of every child in grades three through eight and no high performing nation in the world does this. And we have seen virtually no gain as a result of it. In the early years, there was some gain because there was so much test prep that it increased scores. But we have, over the past dozen years, seen scores go completely stagnant. I now understand, because I've grown old and hopefully have learned a few things, I was really good at standardized tests. I thought they were great. They worked for me. And it was only much later in life, and I would say in the last decade or so, that I've come to understand that standardized tests themselves are a social construction of very limited value. When kids take standardized tests, it teaches, it teaches them that there's only one right answer, and that's a bad lesson. And when we use standardized tests to judge children, we stigmatize them unless they're at the top. And standardized tests, in my view today, have become a way of adding to the privilege of those who are already privileged. Our vision is now warped by believing that children should be ranked, that schools should compete, and that schools should be closed if they don't compete because we're closing, in many cases, good schools in very tough neighborhoods where the teachers are doing a great job and yet the school is closed. And so I think that the, the real question that we as a society are, are facing, the real question is, are we willing to pay the cost of having a good education system recognizing that almost half the kids in this country are, by federal definition, living below the poverty line, uh, that an enormous number of them have special needs and that it costs money to address all of those needs? Are we willing to pay teachers a professional salary uh, and to have a teaching profession? Or do we want to just keep skimping and pretending that choice and testing are somehow a substitute for genuine social and political action?
0: Well, that is...
6: In Australia,
0: the defenders of public education are certainly up against it. We've got to deal with Dan Tiena Morrison, but they've got to deal with Mr Trump. And the Trump and his education secretary, Mr Voss, are into privatisation of education through charter schools as well as through religious schools. But the really strange thing has just happened. During a speech which was ostensibly about systemic racism, everybody thought, Trump claimed this. He said, we're fighting for school choice, which really is the civil rights issue of all time in this country.
1: We achieved the lowest black, Hispanic and Asian unemployment rates in American history, and we will do it again. We'll do it again. We're fighting for school choice, which really is the civil rights of all time in this country. Frankly, school choice is the civil rights statement of the year, of the decade, and probably beyond. Because all children have to have access to quality education. A child's zip code in America should never determine their future, and that's what was happening. So we're very, very strong on school choice, and I hope everybody remembers that. And it's happening. It's already happened, but it's happening. We have tremendous opposition from people that know they shouldn't be opposing it. School choice. All children deserve equal opportunity because we are all made equal by God. So true. A great jobs market and thriving economy is probably the best thing.
0: Well, there's Mr. Trump on one of his um, interesting perambulations in, in words, I think. But I guess we've missed all the protesters who've been painting school choice on city streets of America. And in Australia, we're here at the Dogs, we're not into school choice. We're into children's choice, the choice of children to have an educational opportunity, particularly if they are disadvantaged children. But um, Diana's got a few comments that she'd like to refer you to on uh, Mr Trump and his school choice as a civil rights issue.
3: Thanks, Jean. Yeah, I've got an article here by Diane Ravitch. It says, no, school choice is not the civil rights issue of our time. And it's by Diane Ravitch herself. In his speech about reforming policing, Trump veered off into a bizarre claim that school choice is the civil rights issue of our time. At a time when hundreds of thousands of people are demonstrating for social and economic justice against and against police brutality and racism, it is odd to hear Trump veer off into school choice as the solution for the evils that stain our society. We've heard this statement before many times. President Obama said it. Arne Duncan said it. Mitt Romney said it. Betsy DeVos says it often. And Trump said it before in his first State of the Union address to Congress after the 2016 election. Let me be clear. School choice is not the civil rights issue of our time. Civil rights is the civil rights issue of our time. By civil rights, I mean the right to vote without intimidation or voter suppression. I mean the right to equal treatment by the police and the courts and equality before the law without regard to one's race or economic status. I mean the right to attend a well-resourced public school that offers an excellent education. I mean the right to acquire as much education as one desires without regard to one's income. I mean the right to good medical care so that one's income doesn't determine access to health care. I mean the right to a decent standard of living. School choice is most certainly not a civil right because it exacerbates all kinds of segregation by income, by race, by religion, and by social status. School choice undercuts equality of educational opportunity. Civil rights is the civil rights issue of our time. Thank you so much.
0: Uh, I think that just says it all, don't you, Dale? I really do think. Diane Ravitch puts it all in a nutshell and doesn't it do the hard good to know that we are not alone in what we are fighting for. But now we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to um, discover what the Charter School System in the United States has been up to.
2: Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is
3: open Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org to place your
2: orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout.
3: Shop organic and buy local.
2: Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter.
7: Up on a-
3: Tensions pensions and their working
2: conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm the
4: proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education.
2: Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still
7: not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit.
3: You're listening to The Dogs, the Defence of Government Schools on 3CR. In
0: America, uh, we have a, a different kind of private system, which is run really really as a private system with public money, uh, but it's backed by billionaires and they're running it like a business. Uh, charter schools, they are called. And Erica L. Green of the New York Times has recently written a detailed exposure of these schools. Some of them come with the backing of billionaire donors like Bill Gates and Michael Bloomberg. And they've sought and received federal coronavirus aid intended for small businesses. Thus, they collect funding as public schools, and yet they collect federal aid as small businesses. It's a little bit like here in Australia with Catholic schools getting more and more funding uh, for the running of their schools, and then wanting both their teachers and their to get JobKeeper funding. Now, peer-reviewed studies have shown that charter schools, at least in Texas, already have more funding than the public schools. And This is a bit like in Australia, where our statistics are now showing us that a lot of Catholic schools in particular are getting more funding than the local public schools. There's one of these schools, the Bullis School, pleads poverty and need, but the local public school parents and the local school board have long complained that the Charter operates as an exclusively publicly funded private school for rich families in Los Altos, California. And these parents, these wealthy parents, each contributed $5,000 to subsidize the school. Now, a very good investigative reporting by Erica Green uh, shows that, in fact, the board minutes of the charters uh, compiles a partial list of those who took private public funding meant for small, small businesses in, in America recently. And the Trump administration is refusing to release the names of the recipients of this funding. So there's a lack of transparency in America as there is in Australia. Now, according to Erica Green, the charter schools, including some with healthy cash balances and billionaire backers, that we've just mentioned some of them, have quietly accepted millions of dollars in emergency relief funding from a fund which was created to help struggling small businesses stay afloat. Since their inception, the charter schools have straddled the line between public schools and private entities, and the pandemic has forced them to choose, and dozens of them, potentially more because the Treasury Department has not disclosed a list, have decided for the purpose of the pandemic relief that they are businesses applying for aid even as they continue to enjoy funding from school budgets, tax-free status, as charities, I assume, and, as in some cases, healthy cash balances and the support of their billionaire bankers. That has let them tap the Paycheck Protection Program, which is a little bit like our JobKeeper Program in America which Congress intended to keep businesses and non-profits from shedding jobs and closing their doors. Parents, activists and researchers have identified at least 50 million in forgivable loans flowing to these schools, which, like all schools, are facing steep budget cuts next year as tax revenue, tuition payments and donations dry up. Now, a lady called Carol Burris, the Executive Director of the Network for Public Education, a group that scrutinises charter school management and whose early donors also include a teaching union, has this to say about it. To me, she says, you're either a fish or a fowl. You can't say you're a public school one day, but now because it's advantageous, say that you're a business, and her group, the Network for Public Education, we've got a group here in Australia called PEN, which is a public education network like this. The group identified at least 48 million in funds from this paycheck protection program, which goes to 27 charitable schools across the country. And how did they do it? They did it by watching virtual school board meetings and poring over meeting minutes and news reports, which were also reviewed by the New York Times. So they've done a lot of research and worked very hard to make sure that their facts are correct. They're saying they want this money to protect their fund balance when you have people in superlines, That's what the charter school is saying because they're worried about what's going to happen when the recession, or let's call it depression, really hits America. Charter leaders say that traditional schools have long benefit from capital that they cannot attain and those who are questioning our eligibility program are those to question whether we should get money at all. But privately the charters have been girding for what will be a public relations nightmare and I suspect that a lot of private schools in Australia are going to be in this position very soon too. as a lot of their patrons find they haven't got the fees to separate out their children. Now the charter schools are different from elite private schools. Although they're independently in run, they do operate as part of local school districts and they don't charge tuition and they're supposed to be open to all students, albeit through lotteries. But like traditional public schools, they generally receive per pupil funding from the districts and as such, they're eligible to receive a share of billions of dollars in relief that Congress allocated to public education. But because the vast majority of these uh, charter schools are run by companies, they also qualified for the Paycheck Protection Programme. And the charter recipients of the forgivable loans include wealthy networks like Summit, Whose most recent tax filings show it had asset holdings uh, of 43 million and an endowment, and it paid its chief executive nearly 500,000 pounds or dollars. I'm sorry. The charter network receives donations from philanthropic organisations, Mr Bloomberg and Bill and Melinda Gates and the Bezos Family Foundation, and its business-savvy California board of directors includes a lady called Meg Whitlam and the, executive, uh, the Chief Executive of Quibi and a former Chief Executive of eBay. So there is big, big money behind these charters in America. In many cases, the charter school leaders have openly acknowledged they did not apply for the funds because they were in dire financial straits. The board chairman of OneOpen, California Charter School Network, Education for Change Public Schools, said its $5 million loan would be a cheap form of cash flow financing. Don't you love the way they use the financial lingo? And in North Carolina, the founding board member of One Charter School, Pine Springs Preparatory Academy, Told the reporter, to Ms. Barris, that it was like a private school for wealthy kids. And it accepted $550,000 because these charter schools can determine who comes in at the gates of their schools, where public schools can't do that. And one San Diego charter school was awarded a $2.25 million loan in May. And then laid off a third of its teachers. And one of the terms of the program is that the loans convert to grants if the recipients retain or retire employees. Now parents and researchers in Oakland have also tracked about 19 million awarded to charter schools in the Oakland Unified School District. And a report released last Monday by In the Public Interest, a policy and research group that scrutinises the privatisation of public goods, found that 70% of the district's 43 charter schools had accepted the funding. Combined with federal relief funds available to all public schools, the report said the district's charter schools would receive at least $23 million in federal funding, which breaks down to an average of getting $2,000 more per student, than the traditional public schools. So, listeners, as I read this out, we're dealing with people who know how to get their cotton picking fingers into the public treasury in the same way as the private schools in this country have been doing for the last 60 years. And the person behind this is a lady called Mr. Voss, Mr. Trump's education secretary. And we've just heard Um, Mr Trump thinks that school choice for the wealthy people who send their children to these charter schools is in fact a civic right. Well, the dogs do think otherwise and I'm sure a lot of the listeners to 3CR would agree with us. So the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools have lobbied hard to ensure that Congress included the schools in this program. It's not quite like JobKeeper, but it's, its purpose is similar. Now, the charter schools in several states are not guaranteed district level funding, you see, let alone the $13.5 billion in emergency funds that Congress gave the states wide discretion over. And Francis LaPolle, the chairman of the board of Ullis Charter School in Silicon Valley, said that his school took a $2 million loan to help mitigate the impact of an anticipated 8% cut in state funding. So he claimed that the school receives about $5,000 less per student than traditional public schools, which its foundation a separate entity seeks to make up by asking parents to voluntarily donate $5,000 a year. So you get the scene. You're dealing with pseudo-public schools that say to, to wealthy parents or middle-class parents, we understand that you don't want your children to go to that public school up the road because there's too many children of ex-slaves going through. And they are really not quite the right kind of children you want your children to mix with. So you come to our school, pay a little bit more. We still call ourselves public schools, but we can determine who is enrolled here. Yeah. So that's what this chart business is really about. It's about dividing and ruling in a very unequal Democracy, so-called democracy, namely America, and that is the role that the private schools are playing in our democracy also. However, charter school teachers are also teachers, and there was the question, are they not to be protected too uh, from the big economic downturn? And there's been a lot of certain soul-searching about that, uh, and um Sometimes there is a concern, too, with public school teachers about their fellow teachers in private schools. But the dogs go back to first principles. A public school has to be open to all children. It has to be publicly funded, and it has to be free, secular and universal. So there is always this problem uh, for anybody who's involved in education, and especially when you are dealing with children who are missing out. But here in Australia, with the dogs, we have never deviated. We stand for public education, which is public in purpose, and above all, public in access. So I think that's about enough for today uh it's been a fairly what, what Dale would call a fairly meaty program. But we are doing this under very difficult circumstances but Dale's getting really good with this technology and I think we have to congratulate her. And uh we're all we're all on a fairly steep learning trajectory ourselves and I can assure you that at the beginning I was a very slow learner. But we are going to get there because we are very determined to keep this issue before the Victorian public, but from down myself, it is by now.
8: I dreamed I saw Joy here last night, alive as you and me says I, but Joe here ten years dead I never died, says he I never died says he In Salt Lake City, Joe says I am standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge says Joe But I did, says Joe. But I did. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die. Standing there as big as life And smiling with his eyes Says Joe what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill and organize, it's there.